0: Zeitgeist Turkey, coming to you weekly from Istanbul.
1: Your smart guide to the state of Turkey.
0: Welcome to Zeitgeist Turkey. This is Jansu Çamlıbel. We are coming to you from Istanbul with the support from the German Heinrich Böll Foundation My podcast partner, Can Selçuky, is on the line with me today, finally. Hi, Can.
1: Hi, Can. So, good to be back. Good to hear your voice again.
0: Great to talk to you as well. We are finally back together after our own little summer recess.
1: Exactly. Looking forward to it.
0: And the political scene in Turkey is lively as ever. At least this is what I can tell from a journalistic perspective. But I can also see that... As posters, you guys have been very, very busy. What is keeping you busy these days?
1: Well, indeed, the heat is on as much as ever. And, you know, there are a couple of uh, developments that seem to be shaping the political scene. The First is obviously, you know, the economic fallout of the COVID is very real and it's here. I mean, after the renormalization that began in June, the economic sentiments seem to improve Albeit relatively because, you know, economic activity picked up in comparison to, you know, March, April and May, there was more economic activity and there was a credit boom, consumer credit boom that sort of helped improve the moods. However, uh, as COVID progressed, uh, it seems like the economic sentiment is taking a sharp uh, negative turn. The uptick that came from normalization is subsiding. The support from the government uh, is also somewhat subsiding. So all in all, the household finances are getting to a very uh, difficult stage. And with this, we see the reflection of this, obviously, on voting intentions of the public. Maybe let me just set the stage, Jansu, by giving the results from our latest poll that we conducted early September, whereby the people's the governing people's alliance formed by mhp and arc party for the first time uh, dropped down to 43% you know which is a quite uh, quite a distance from uh, 50 plus 1 that's uh, required to win uh, the presidential uh, election so this tells me uh, actually that you know things are even going to heat up more uh, going forward uh, because you know the economic troubles are here the depreciated lira takes its toll uh, on on prices. On the other hand, double-digit unemployment uh, continues. And I think one trouble moment ahead will be realized when ban on firing will be lifted. Because as you know, uh, since the beginning of COVID, the government rightly, in my view, put a ban on firing people. But at the same time, they provided support to private sector for employment. But you know how much that uh, support can go on is a question mark. And at the point when the government can no longer provide that support, you can't continue the ban on firing because then the private sector will obviously object to this. So when that ban is lifted, I'm afraid you might see a cascade of unemployed people and that's trouble uh, ahead. That's why I'm saying that I think uh, politics is gonna get even tougher as the ruling coalition tries to keep its electorate on its side, will try to eliminate them more.
0: If you allow me, I would like to break down your analysis into pieces because each component of this analysis requires a deeper look. First of all, the deep dive of the Turkish lira. I mean, it's fluctuating, but we saw 7.7% In the course of last week, for instance, the finance minister Berat Albayrak was making fun of the gloomy predictions that were being put forward usually by the Western financial institutions. And now we see that all those gloomy predictions are unfortunately becoming the reality of the day. It looks like the main reason is the distrust of both the Turkish nation and also the foreign investors For the economy. Would you agree with that assumption?
1: I do agree with that assumption. Obviously the depreciation of the lira is a combination of internal and external factors. I mean on the external factors obviously we don't have much to say. For example in the past week we've seen the US dollar appreciating gaining in value globally so there's not much you can do to that. But obviously like you said our vulnerabilities result in the decline in the trust in the economy, so we are even more deeply impacted by what's happening globally. But all in all, I think you are right. The main issue is that there is a general distrust to the economy right now in Turkey.
0: When we were discussing the public awareness about the virus in Turkey, your polls four or five months ago showed us that they did not really fully embrace the importance of this period, do you have fresh data telling us what the Turkish people in general think and how they perceive the coronavirus six months after the outbreak?
1: Well, we do actually. John Stu at the beginning of our our you know September first poll it showed that a share of people that are either worried or very worried about the virus have reached to seventy nine percent. It was also seventy nine percent in August. So this is the highest uh, share of worried uh, people since March. And I think the reason is uh, quite simple. In the first three months, and in the following times, we sort of heard of people getting the virus. But you know, we all always heard stories. You know, a friend of a friend, or a friend of a friend of a friend, sort of distance. But now, there's almost everyone around me, including myself personally knows someone that has tested positive. So this actually changed the perception of the public as to what's really happening. Obviously, the policy response to this has been rather mixed. The initial assumption, if you remember back in March... Was that this would probably last around three months and then things would be back to normal. After very harsh quarantining in March, April, and May, when we went back to normal in June, we sort of felt that, you know, okay, I think we are, you know, out of the woods. Policy response has been mixed, meaning on the one hand, the health minister was urging people every day to, you know, exercise caution, wear masks, stay at home when possible and whatnot. But at the same time, people were offered cheap credits to go on vacations by the public banks or the university entrance exam, which concerns actually 2 million young people gathering in classrooms and going back to their houses. Also, an important thing to note is that people have lost confidence in the numbers. And I think that's a huge obstacle to fighting the spread of the uh, virus, because, you know, uh, in the past months, we've seen the health minister announcing national numbers of people infected, of people cured, or of people who have passed away due to COVID. But on the other hand, we have heard provincial governors announcing city-level numbers that actually surpass the national average. Exactly. So, you know, this sort of caused... Uh, and unease with the uh, transparency the numbers provided. And I think when you lose that kind of trust due to, you know, opaqueness in in numbers, then, you know, people don't really take you seriously when you talk about uh, taking measures
0: uh, to to
1: prevent the spread.
0: And another important item of um, the political agenda apparently goes in line with what you're saying right now is, this debate, discussion around the Turkish Medical Association, TTP. As you indicated, it wasn't only TTB, it was the provincial governors and provincial authorities, local authorities from across Turkey giving daily numbers, which actually contradicted the national numbers in the sense that if you have 500 positive cases only in Diyarbakir per day, It is unlikely that you're going to have only thousand-something positive cases in, in all Turkey. And TTB, an organization which is composed of health professionals and doctors, both their headquarters and their provincial offices have been monitoring the situation very closely. And of course, they are the ones working in the field. They are the ones trying to cure people when they come to the hospitals. So it's evident that they have access to the real situation, at least more than us regular citizens of this country. So they have been trying to warn, caution that the numbers that have been announced by the central government in Ankara are actually not reflecting the real situation on the ground. The hospitals are overcrowded, the ICE units are overcrowded, and people are being sent back to their homes instead of treatment. because of their outspoken attitude, David Bahçeli, one of the most important or influential figures in the Turkish politics right now, uh, he came up and he said that the Turkish Medical Association should be closed.
1: Jansu, let's go to the beginning of this. I mean, yes, the Turkish Medical Association is an NGO that is historically leftist and historically, you know, uh, against the policies of of AK Party and and MHP and or any other right wing uh, politics for for decades. Now let's put that on the side, and one might even say that there are certain groups within the association that some people might find too much to the left. But let's leave this discussion to one side. But from the beginning, the health ministry health ministry refused to talk to the Turkish Medical Association about the handling of the pandemic. And I remember since the very beginning, the association made appeal after appeal to the health ministry and to the science council to actually work together and cooperate. Because obviously these guys having thousands of members are able to really assess what's happening on the ground both from a medical perspective, but also from a logistical perspective. And I think this was a mistake for uh, both the science council and the health minister to refuse to talk to them. Six months uh, fast forward, and now the medical association, leaving aside again their political inclination, are making very real and important calls to First, drive attention to the fact that the pandemic is getting out of hand, got out of hand, to put it more correctly, but also they are, you know, putting forward policy uh, suggestions to handle this. I find it rather sad uh, that at a time like this, the political differences between MHP or the ruling bloc and the medical association gets in the way of tackling the COVID crisis. I don't think it will come to that, but I think it would set a harmful, detrimental precedent for civil society and democracy at large in Turkey if, as a result of all these discussions, the Turkish Medical Association was indeed shut down.
0: John, I would like to go back to what you said in your initial remarks about the recent poll that you did regarding how the political parties in Turkey are doing as of September 2020. And this is important because, especially back in July, when President Erdogan decided to go ahead with the decision of converting Hagia Sophia back into a mosque, everybody that I could see on Turkish TVs were talking about, oh, this is an election move. He's getting ready for a snap election. And when we were having this discussion in those weeks, you always defended the idea that a snap election even an early election in turkey is highly unlikely and now we entered the last season of the year we only have a little over three months to close the year this a sound analysis of the facts on the ground and you were telling about especially the insecurity and the distrust and the problems in, in economy and the spike in the coronavirus cases These are all very difficult policy areas that the government will have to tackle with in the next months. So judging by these factors, we are going to close 2020, I believe, without an election. Do you stand firmly in your earlier analysis that an early election in Turkey right now is kind of out of question?
1: Not only I stand firmly behind that argument, John. so if anything... I feel even more confirmed, let's say, about this argument that I have. I expect the elections to be in 2023. I realize this is bold, but I I stand by it because the data that we have right now, look, the economy is doing badly. Let me give you some numbers. In our mid-September survey, we asked people how they think the economy is right now. 66% said either bad or very bad. That's up from 47% a month ago. Likewise, we asked people, how do you think the economy will be in the next one year? The share of people who said uh, worse or much worse were 52% up from 45% in August. You know, this is a fact and this is going to get worse before it gets better. And it makes all the sense for our party and, and the ruling coalition to wait out the storm for as long as they can so that if things get relatively better until 2023, which is a possible scenario obviously, then it's best for them to wait, wait out the storm for as long as they can and not throw themselves uh, under the bus. Uh, but this is from the data that we have at hand right now. Two things can change this, one, as we are somewhat used to see in the past two decades, if David Parcheri wakes up one morning and says, you know, this is no longer tolerable for whatever reason. We want an early election, right? That that would be a game changer, and there is no way to uh, predict this, I find. The second would be, uh, is that the economy gets so bad that it gets to a point of a social unrest. Then, yes, an early election would be inevitable. Now, both of these outliers are, for me, possible, but not Probable scenarios. So, from where I stand, from the data that I have, my analysis tells me that elections before 2023 are not likely to happen. I stand by that analysis.
0: Then, the question is if we won't have an early election, if there is no election psyche, there is no need for an election psyche. Why do you think? The members of the ruling alliance on the AKP front and also on the MHP front, and MHP has been doing it quite often with different topics, as we mentioned. It happened with the Turkish Medical Association. Why do you think they feel the need to further polarize, polarize, and find fiery points for contention with the rest of the society who would not be voting for that bloc? Why do they need this kind of tension right now if we are not going to have an election in the next year, in the next months. What is the strategy behind this?
1: Well, the strategy for me is quite straightforward in that the ruling block is getting further away from the 50% threshold and there's not much that they can do right now to regain that loss. So their best strategy is to actually make sure that what they have at hand does not go anywhere else. That's the reason of all this contention, I find. And that was why, you know, uh, Hagia Sofia uh, decision was partly due to this and, you know, other areas of contention and polarization are uh, due to this as well. Now, if, like I speculated, let's say, if the economy until 2023 relatively gets better, then they have room to grow their 43 or 44%, whatever, to the 50% threshold. But their priority right now is not to grow, it's to preserve what's at hand, to make sure that what they have does not go to, to new parties or to the existing parties or any other political actors.
0: I know this is, this is going to be the hardest question for today, I believe. This could be like a $1 billion question. $1 billion is a huge amount of money if you think in terms of Turkish lira today. One billion dollar question. What would actually reverse the course of the decline that the ruling alliance of AKP and MHP is experiencing right now?
1: Well, it is a, a couple of millions dollars <laughs> of question, but I think there would need to be a, a, a major pivotal change in the way policy is done. I, I'm not sure if there is any willing to do that kind of change
0: Sorry, quite contrary, John. I'm sorry to interrupt, but quite contrary. Yeah. They, I, not only that we don't see any, any signs of a possible policy change, the reason why I'm asking, why I'm trying to underline the fact that they are further triggering polarization and they are further raising the tensions on purpose. And this is why I'm trying to understand if this strategy is going to bring them more votes in the short term
1: i doubt that i doubt that that will be the 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 result quite frankly john so i you know right now they need to distance themselves from rhetoric and get back to delivery like they have done so successfully for their electorate for the better half of the past two decades but it seems like a lot of the appeal to the electorate is based on rhetoric that does not really satisfy the electorate so i think that would have to be the primary change in their approach. But like you said, I don't see any signs uh, of that uh, going forward.
0: So the last point I would like to mention and get your views on is whether the foreign policy files that the government spent quite a lot of time on over the course of the summer, Eastern Mediterranean crisis, the gas drilling efforts put forward by Turkey and countered by the European alliance. If you talk to the foreigners, if you talk to the Europeans, if you talk to the Westerners, these are the, the main interest areas today. But what I am wondering is whether these problems and this crisis had really impact on the thinking, on the perception of the Turkish people. Do you have any data that could suggest whether this crisis in the Eastern Mediterranean really interested the turks
1: well first let me say that turks are watching what's happening closely but the general feeling is that you know we are we are doing we are being wronged by the west and and you know erdogan is standing tall and fighting for our rights that's i would say is the prevailing perception particularly obviously among ak party and mhp voters and that in fact helps Erdogan mask some of the economic hardships that the household is experiencing today, like I described in the beginning. So it is working, I have to say, in his advantage. For how long he will be able to get the kind of return from uh, foreign relations as he's doing right now, I don't know. Because sooner or later, these issues will have to be uh, settled, uh, unless obviously, you know, you're willing to go to war. But for the time being, particularly with his electorate, what's happening in the foreign policy resonates rather well. And maybe a few words on how the opposition is reacting. The opposition, for the longest time, has stopped looking for nuances in foreign policy and sort of supports the government in anything foreign policy in the hope of appearing pro-state or nationalistic which I find is a rather limited policy uh, strategy. It's one thing to support Turkish ambitions abroad, but it's another to actually provide nuanced suggestions or criticism to government policies. The opposition just doesn't seem to be doing that.
0: John, thank you so much. It was very interesting, as usual, to get your views and to get your analysis. Uh, Until next time stay safe, stay healthy, try to stay home a little bit more. I know it's boring, but for the sake of ourselves and others, that looks like the wise scenario to stick to. So until next time, take care. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.